0: There is no time like the 2020s to start a company, to start a startup. You know, with the rise of the internet, you can learn anything at a very low cost, if not for free. You can build anything without needing to know how to code with tools like Bubble and Adalo. And you can get the word out about your products for free by using, you know, sites like Twitter, Product Hunt and Reddit. There's no time. Like the 2020s to build a company, yet one element of kind of entrepreneurship and company building that hasn't caught up with the times is venture capital. Unless you live, you know, in San Francisco or New York, chances are you may know what venture capital is, but you may not really know how it works. You may not know who the good VCs are and you may not know how they think. So with this podcast, of Forward Thinking Investors, I wanna dive into this world. I wanna help anyone in the world understand what is venture capital, who are the great venture capitalists and how do they think about their day to day with the goal to help more people understand how it works so they can go out and raise capital for themselves. And they can build a billion dollar companies just like, you know, Larry did at Google or Travis did at Uber or Katrina did at Stitch Fix. That can be you, but it just takes some education. And I'm using this podcast as a medium to teach everyone more about venture capital. So if you want to learn about it, you want to dive in, you want to meet some awesome investors, stick around, listen to some episodes, and and I hope you enjoy. All right. How's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Investors, where we talk to investors about markets, founders, and how they broke into venture. Today, I'm very excited to be talking to Gaurav Jain, who's a co-founder and managing partner of A4 Capital. Welcome to the show. How's it going? I
1: am good. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, excited to have you on and learn, you know, all about how you think about venture. I think for my first question, it's the same one I always ask because I'm always curious. You know, venture is this kind of opaque and random thing in some ways. I'm curious for you, how did you find yourself, you know, breaking into venture and how did you make your way here?
1: Yeah, I think random is definitely the right word to use uh, because. Frankly, growing up, you know, people ask you, what do you want to be? And, you know, for me, it was actually to be a commercial pilot. So I I didn't know anything about venture. I I guess I sort of was exposed to entrepreneurship because my dad was running a small business in, in India. But you know, of course, not venture backed, and that was sort of not a thing growing up in in, in India. But I, you know, I went to undergrad. We I mean, moved to Canada. I Went to undergrad for software engineering. My uh, aspiration in life was to be an engineer at Microsoft because that was the cool company in the early two thousands to be at. I Went to University of Waterloo up in Canada. Did internships at companies like Amazon and. And what's now called BlackBerry, used to call it Research in Motion back then. Anyway, I ended up starting a company, a tech company, you know, and sitting in BlackBerry's backyard. You know, we were very enamored by what was happening in the smartphone space. So we started a company and through that actually was my first exposure to venture as a venture back founder, right? We needed some money to, to hire engineers to get the business off the ground. So we raised... I guess what would be called a pre-seed today. We used to be called an angel round of 600,000 uh, in 2008. Really interesting time to start a company, to say the least. You know, the market's obviously melted in the fall of 2008. We somehow squeezed through, we raised the Series A in early 2009, and that brought me to the Android team. As a product manager, I joined the platform when we had less than a million total users. was there for a couple of years, left when we were getting about a million new users a day. And and then I left to go to business school. And that's when I started thinking about, you know, what do I want to do next? I started a company. I've been a PM and in, in sort of, you know, for early stage products and, and venture kind of was something in the back of my mind, having been a venture-backed founder. So I, I basically took up an internship at this fund called Founder Collective. And just to see it as an experiment, is this something I enjoy? And I really fell in love, right? Fell in love with early stage investing, uh, working with many founders who are, you know, you have the honor of meeting and helping. As they kind of go in and go after the mission uh, and, and their vision, so that's sort of how I ended up in venture about nine years ago, and haven't haven't looked back since.
0: So, so right now, you're, you have a fund, you have a firm. Can you kind of walk me through what, when you started that? How did you decide to make some of the decisions you make? What I mean by that is, you know, what stage is it at? Is it like, you know, series B, C? Is it pre-seed, seed? How did you decide that? Can of walk me through how you decided to end up starting your fund and how you decided to structure it?
1: Yeah. You know, and look, there was no sort of whiteboarding session to say, okay, like, let's do a market map and figure out where we think the opportunity is and let's go after that. You know, we, we sort of almost quote unquote fell into it. Right. And that's sort of what we look for in in founders we back as well. Right. Is sort of that authenticity. Right. I don't want to back founders necessarily that said, hey, look, we did like a half a day whiteboarding sessions and we like read a bunch of TechCrunch posts and like, here's a problem we 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 read about and we're going to go after it. It can work sometimes, but most times you almost want to like organically end up with that idea because you've been doing something else and you saw this adjacency or you saw this opportunity or you saw this gap. Right. So in my case, you know, as I mentioned, I, I joined this fund founder collective, which was focused on seed stage investments in February of 2012. I was there for four and a half years. Right. And, and like had an incredible uh, journey there to learn venture from who I think are some of the best in the business. Had the opportunity to you know, do seed investments in companies like Airtable or Cruise Automation or Firebase and a bunch of other ones. And over time, what I saw was this shift. Right. The shift in what seed the definition of seed right? Where when I started in early 2012, seed rounds were this million, $2 million rounds. Companies are very early, certainly pre-product market fit in most cases, pre-traction. By the time 2015, 2016 rolls around, you know, I found myself and a lot of other seed funds in the same place, they would tell the same founders that they would have backed in 2012 or 2010 saying like, look, I like what you're doing. I like your background, but you're too early right? You are too early for a seed round, go raise an angel friends and family round of half a million, million bucks, build a product, get some traction. And then we can underwrite a two to $5 million seed round. And, And sometimes the founders will turn around and be like, hold on, let me get this right. So I need money to get to traction, but I need traction to get the money. Like how do I solve this, you know, cash 22? And I don't have rich family or friends to just you know, bankroll me till I get there. And that's sort of when the light bulb goes off, right? And you're like, hold on a second. I think there's an opportunity to back these incredible founders, even a stage earlier than what seed funds are doing. And it was starting to be called pre-seed. And then we sort of just ran with that. And we raised our first $47 million fund in, in 2016 with that, with that thesis that you know, on the ground, we are seeing founders that are having a tough time raising their first round of capital. It may not be obvious in the data yet, but we certainly see it anecdotally. And we kind of ran with that vision. And, you know, four and a half years later, it certainly has become a thing. And like everybody recognizes that there's a pre-seed round that happens before seed, but it certainly wasn't the case. And, you know, look, it was hard to raise our first first fund for that reason, because not a lot of people believed that there was a real problem here, but we saw it. And, and as founders, we, we ran with it.
0: So, you know, and and as one of these founders that was in this situation, you know, in the last year or two, like, I, you know, I can speak for all the founders in that situation. We appreciate, you know, you starting um, the fund to fund, you know, the earlier stage founders. I'm curious for you as you... As you kind of go on your day to day, as you look at opportunities, as you meet founders, do you kind of find yourself being more founder driven, or or market driven, or thesis driven, or how do you kind of kind of find the balance between um, those two, and how do you think about looking at opportunities through through those lenses?
1: Totally, and like there's no one right way to practice venture, right? Everybody has their own uh, strategy. For us it's very much founder-driven and people-driven and not so much marketer thesis-driven, right? So we we almost, we, we, we say to founders, like, look, we look for founders that can point us to opportunities, right? And say, hey, because of my previous experience, I saw something. And then of course, it's our job to diligence that and say, do we believe that to be true? But we don't get too caught up with that. We, we try to really diligence what the next 12 to 18 months may look like for this company, but not the next five, 10 years, because frankly, and this is my, my experience, like some of the best companies, even the founders can't like quite grasp how big this opportunity can be or how this company will evolve over time. To take an extreme example, if you look at the Uber, right, seed round deck, right, which my previous fund, Founder Collective, invested in before my time, so I can take no credit. But if you look at the deck, right, it talks about the market opportunity for Uber being 4.2 billion dollars. And by the way usually founders exaggerate right the market size. So you can imagine the founders probably thought the market size was like a billion dollars. Uber does something like 60-70 billion dollars in top line revenue, right? So like you see, and Airbnb is the same same thing, right? I think Airbnb because one of the founders shared this story where like their first deck said the Tam was like 30 million and then somebody told them like no 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 like vcs don't like m's like as in millions they like b's and billions so they just changed 30 billion to 3 billion And of course today you know airbnb is worth you know close to 100 billion so like even the founders can't quite uh, uh, fully quantify how big the opportunity is so obviously somebody like me who is like a more an observer and not you know the, in in the in the center in the eye of the storm obviously can't quite understand that so so we don't try to like put too much into so that would, instead we look for, okay, are these very strong founders and then really understand at least in the, in the short to medium term, you know, what is that problem they're solving? Do they understand the customer's pain point really well? Do they understand the market dynamics? Can they break through? Can they wedge into the market? And then do they have the ability to ask the right questions to, to, to take, you know, synthesize the data and look for adjacent opportunities, right? So if you look at Uber, they executed in the black car market really, really well. And then said, hold on, why do we need to stop at Black Car? Let's also do taxis. And then they did taxis. They're like, hold on, why don't we just stop at taxis? We can make anybody a taxi driver. If you have a car, you, sh- you-, you can drive people around. Oh, hold on, why do we stop there? Now we can do food delivery. And you just, you sort of keep finding these new adjacencies. And, and that's the way we look to underwrite at that stage, because we're coming in so early. You know, these new companies usually have no traction, certainly no product market fit. So you really try to understand, is this the right team to back? And are they in the right zip code to eventually find something interesting?
0: And and you mentioned a couple of times their team, you know, are they exceptional founders? Can you kind of walk me through, let's say, you know, someone knocks, not literally, but you know, hypothetically, someone knocks on your door, it's like the dream founding team or the dream, the dream founder. What, what kind of attributes do you, do you look for in, uh, in, in this team? You know, if you're betting so early, are there a certain kind of characteristics that you're looking for or are there characteristics that you're trying to like, you know, igno- like, you know, not bring in. So almost bad characteristics characteristics of an yeah. early stage team.
1: Totally. And I just want to make sure I, I clarify when you say dream team, like there is no dream team on paper, right? I think some investors may think, Oh, because you went to this school, because you worked at this company, like, We actually like, don't, you know, give too much weight to that. But instead to us, a dream team is when you spend time with them, you feel just like this energy and excitement, right? To just back them and be in business with them, right? Because they they understand that, that what they're trying to build, they understand, as I mentioned, the first 12 to 18 months and what it's going to take to get this company to first base, right? Not to, you know, second, third, fourth base, but just to first base. And they have this energy and passion and this like impatience for like, action and results. And they just want to move fast and, and like get stuff done. And that's, that to me is a dream team. And, you know, what we try to avoid or, you know, certainly, and look, uh, we only focus on a very small part of like, you know, broader, like entrepreneurial ecosystem. So again, I don't want to pain, you know, broad strokes that, oh, if you're starting a restaurant or like a bar, like, you know, of course that's not a kind of founder we back, but there's nothing wrong with that. Right. But we back founders typically going after software ideas that are, you know, exhibit if it works, you know, these nonlinear kind of outcomes, uh, where within 10 years, you can go from zero to $100 billion in, in, in value creation. And for those kind of, you know, founders, like, you you know, it's a certain type of, of person. And when we try to avoid, are, you know, founders where they're just slow to move, or they don't, uh, again, not authentic, they feel like there's a problem here, because of some report they read, but they don't really, they didn't, you know, quote unquote, grow up, you know, in that, in that problem set, or don't really empathize with the customer too much. You know, we also look for folks that have at least one of the founders is technical, right? Because the, the two main components that we look for at our stage is, can they build a product and can they distribute the product, right? Product and distribution are two key. And ideally to us, a full founding team, it, Two founders, one really, really good at go-to-market commercial and has strong commercial instincts, understands how to, like, if it's an enterprise or B2B product, how to close deals. And if it's a B2C a growth market or something something along those lines. And then the second person being sort of that CTO type and like, at least, you know, can get the first few versions of the product out there, can iterate really rapidly and, 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 and hopefully be a magnet for talent and technical talent as the company starts to scale
0: and kind of going in, in, in another direction you mentioned you know very focused on founders but you know i think all investors including i'm not an investor but you know i think all people love markets and things that are happening in the world and you know things that are interesting to them w- what is happening right now in in the world that is like interesting to you either as an investor or just as like a person are there certain trends or markets or technologies that are being worked on that just kind of pique, pique your interest even if it's outside of like an investment lens
1: totally yeah, look there's an incredible amount of activity right happening in the broader tech ecosystem because uh, and it's driven by a bunch of different trends right you see the trends around obviously what AWS has done in the last 10 15 years with the cost of computing you know going close to zero which has made you know startup creation super cheap or now you see like with AI and kind of what's happening there and 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 you know of course we're talking 2020 i mean this is going to be a a year, you know, once, hopefully once in a generation. And and, and I think for tech has had major ramifications, right? I think what the post pandemic, you know, kind of work looks like is going to be very different, whether you are in the information economy and and able to work from home and and distribute and remote work, or if you're not in the information economy, but, you know, how, you know, companies like DoorDash or Airbnb enable new types of, you know, businesses or what you see in like the creator economy right, I think is, is really interesting as well, where anybody can become an influencer or a journalist or whatever, or this this podcast, right? So I think there's a lot of interesting trends. And I think if anything, 2020 has accelerated that, right, certainly for, for tech. So there's a bunch of stuff we're, we're certainly following closely, right? You know, one of, the, one of the use cases I think a lot about is, you know, like Zoom, for example, is a great software build for the pre-pandemic world where we used to do like B2B meetings, right? Or business meetings, right? But most of the work was done kind of, you know, under one roof. But now with the distributor workforce, and I think that's gonna that's here to stay, or a hybrid workforce where you work from home three days, four days a week and come into the office one day a week, I think there are new types of software that will be created, right, to enable that. And I think that's a really interesting space for us. You know, again, yeah, you see in healthcare as well, right? I think that's a really interesting broader vertical and you see a lot of tech adoption. We invested in this company where it's called health node, where patients before they come in can, you know, can, can sort of enter symptoms and why they're coming in. It's like a full triage kind of tree they walk into. So like when the patient, when the the doctor sees you, he or she gets a pre-read of like why the patient is in. So you don't have to fill out those forms, right. Sitting in the, in the, in the reception, which I absolutely hate doing. But what's interesting there is the reason that is accelerating is because because of contactless, right? And clinics are saying, we don't want people to be, you know, use the same pen or filling out a form. So let's adopt a software so they can do it from the comfort of their home, which, you know, if it wasn't for COVID may, may not have may not have, have have happened. So you see this across the board, you know, we have another investment that company called Modern Health, which is in the mental health space. And, you know, a lot of us, including myself, is it's just been a tough, you know, mentally tough year, right? And being isolated, which she was not designed to do. And they've seen a lot of adoption because of that. So anyway, I can go on and on like honestly, there's opportunities everywhere you look, and as I mentioned, like we're very much reactive, not proactive. So we look for founders that can point us to opportunities. Because even if I found an interesting opportunity, if I can't find an incredible team to go after it, it's not going to work, right? You know, climate tech is another interesting one, right? I think with with the with the Biden administration coming in and with some of the stuff that EU has done, I think there'll be a acceleration in sort of regulation and, and interest around that, which I think is great for for our world. Broadly speaking, so we invest in a company called Sinai that's helping companies decarbonize, right? You hear Amazon, Microsoft, you know, Dow Chemicals, all these companies have said by 2030, 2040, 2050, they want to be carbon neutral. Well, how do you actually get there, right? So like they're, they're building a software to essentially help you model and analyze that. So anyway, I can go on and on, but there's uh, if you're a founder, I, I, especially in a software founder, there, I don't think there's been a better time to be building a company. It's like everywhere you look, there's an opportunity and, and the cost to experiment and learn has gone so low that you can get through ideas like at rapid clip, right? 20 years ago, if you were starting a company, you wouldn't know if it's going to work or not uh, until you've burnt millions of dollars and, you know, months and years of your life. But now within, within weeks, you can get to a customer, you can see if it's going to work, if they're going to pay, and if it's not working, you find something else.
0: Let's say you got, you know, all these potentially first-time founders, they see what's happening, they're building companies, and they're ready to raise capital. What is one thing, for, for my last question, what is one thing that you wish more first-time founders, or heck, just founders knew about raising capital or about talking to VCs, that if they did know, they would be better off? You know, they would raise more capital, they raise capital, period. Do you kind of have any thoughts on on tips for the first-time fundraisers out there?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I have lots of tips. And then partially because I've been on the other side as well, having raised uh, venture capital. And frankly, there's a lot of stuff I wish I knew when I was a founder that now I being on the other side, being sort of as part in the game, like you you, you pick up in no particular order. I, I, you know, one of the, one of the first things that come to mind is especially early stages. It's a lot of a storytelling, right? And because like, as I mentioned, like I don't know exactly how the market's going to evolve. I don't know how, you know, what other ideas you may find. What I'm really trying to understand is like, is this the founder I want to back, right? And so much of that is like qualitative and not quantitative, right? So really think about why, how you would get the other person on the other side, just so excited and energized about like what you're building and being able to demonstrate like that you've, you've thought through to like second, third, fourth degree of detail. Right. So when they ask you questions, because the way I try to get that comfort is by asking a lot of questions and going deep and like, I love founders. that can go really, really deep with me. Right. And you can tell they've been thinking a lot about this and they really have a very, you know, uh, almost like muscle memory about like how, how this, this market or this, this product operates. So I think that's, that's, that's one. The second one is like, look, I think venture capital is a means to an end. It's not an end in and of itself. I think a lot of founders get caught up in the vanity of like, oh, my friend raised this much and was on TechCrunch and blah, blah, blah. Look, it's, 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 it's just, it's just one of many components that need to go right for, for your business to be built. And frankly, in my opinion, the best revenue or money coming into your company is customer revenue, not venture revenue, right? So if you can, if you can get customer revenue early on, I think that's, you know, selling part of your company to do so. And then B, when you're ready to raise venture, like your company looks a lot more attractive because like you now have clear willingness to pay and you understand kind of the problem you're trying to solve. And, and I think you should only raise money when you think it can accelerate, right? Your business, right? It, 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 it's like, you're almost like the train is moving and now with some like feel I can move it faster, but it shouldn't be a prerequisite, right? It, what I hate to hear is like, well, you know, I will quit my job once I raise venture or if I can raise venture. Well, that's not great. Like I want to see that your conviction is ahead of like my conviction, right? You have to believe in yourself first before I believe in you. Right, so I think I think that's that's another one that I think is 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 really important. I think the third thing I'd say is like you know uh, you have to understand like these journeys are long, right? To build a great company like Airbnb probably started what, was 2009 2010. It's like 10, 11 years later now they're finally you know IPOing, and which by the way is like one of the fastest growing companies, right? So like a lot of other companies started prior to them and they're still around. And like point being like it's gonna take a long time, right? To build a massive company and, and you can't fire your investors. Right, I think an average marriage in America I don't last like what seven years or something, and like company, your marriages with your with your investors will last longer, right? So like, you've gotta you've gotta think think through like who you're selling a part of the company, who you're bringing on the cap table. Are these people you want, you know, with you for the next ten plus years and hopefully multiple companies, right? I mean, there there have been examples where. I backed a founder at seed and they, they exited the business and they invested in our fund as an LP. And then we invested in the next business. Like that's sort of the kind of relationship we look for. And, and you as a founder should, should look for that as well. So yeah, uh, be thoughtful about you know who you're taking money from. Do back channel references on those investors, right? Just like they're reference checking, you you should reference check them and, and make sure they're supportive not only on the way up but also when things are things are rocky. Anyway, those are probably three things that come to mind uh, right away. And, and look, these days with like blog posts and stuff, there's a bunch of these like people founders share stories. So like definitely do your do your do your part. Do your research before before you take money.
0: For my last question, let's say someone is super interested in what you're what you're saying. They think you're cool, you know, they want to learn more about your, your firm. What's your website? Do you have a blog? Like do you have a Twitter? If someone wants to just like connect, you know, on some level, how, how can they do that on the internet for you?
1: Totally. We're very accessible. So obviously our, our website is a for A-F-O-R-E.vc. Which will give you a sense at a high level kind of the, the, what we look for and, and what we what our ethos is. It has a has a set of our portfolio companies to give you a sense of the stuff we've invested in the past. Again, few past, history is no no you know on the future. You know, we're always open to new ideas and, and interesting spaces. And then our, our my personal Twitter is G Jane, G S and George, as in Jack, A-I-N-Apple India Nancy. So you can find me on Twitter, or just you know, reach out to me over email. Just my first name, G-A-U-R-A-V- at a four.vc. Ideally, we look to get a warm intro, not because I want to make it hard to to connect, um, because obviously I want to meet as many founders as possible. It just helps me if somebody makes a warm intro to get color on the founder, because between my co-founder and I, we see over 3,000 new companies a year. We can only invest in 10. So I'm constantly looking for signals on like what's who are the you know kind of companies or founders we want to back. So anybody who can kind of who knows you far better than I do, or I will get to know you in the next few weeks when we do diligence, anybody that can add color helps. But if there is no connection, please do reach out to me directly. I read every email, every pitch deck that comes through. I may not be able to respond, but I can promise you I've read that deck. And if it's a fit, I will reach back out to you and would love to, love, love to chat.
0: All right. Well, thanks for coming on to the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me.